0: My name is Robert Newberry, like Ben said. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I am on staff with Renovate, which is basically just our post-college ministry, and then we have Renovate Live once a month, and uh, college students, y'all are welcome to check it out as well. It's a really awesome time, but I'm really excited to be here today. I'm really excited, as Ben said, to continue walking through the series in Hebrews, um, where we see Jesus as this picture of a high priest, as this intermediary between us and what it looks like for us to come to him, to draw near to him as Christians and as believers who now call on him as Lord. But before we get into that, a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and then for college, migrated up here to Fort Worth and went to TCU, that's right, so go Frogs. Uh, Part of the family, we love that. Um, I graduated in 2015 which I'm also aware is before most of you were in high school, and so that is cool and fun for me to now sit and think about and realize how old I am. But it's okay, we move on, we're great. Um, had some definitely, had some exciting times happen in life recently. Um, the main one of which is that I got married this year. Yeah, it's awesome, I love it. Yeah, give give a clap for marriage, it's great. Um, but it's really it's really fun and my wife is awesome. Dudes, 10 out of 10, recommended, re- recommending someone, marrying someone who is definitely above you, like outkick your coverage, shoot for it, your wife should be better than you, it's just a fact, and mine is. She's great, um, she's super patient, super smart, um, yeah, she uh, is really smart, like weirdly smart. Uh, on our first date, she was like, yeah, I was d- tired of wait- uh, being on the wait list for Duke, So I just decided to go to Columbia for my master's. And I was like, oh, you're a different level of human than I am. That's great. Um, I applied to two colleges and just picked the closest one. So cool. We're a little bit different there. Um, But yeah, so she's great. And she's super patient, loves Jesus a lot. And so I'm really thankful for her. But you would think in me knowing that, I would be the husband who's on it. And I'm like, man... I really gotta love my wife, gotta celebrate her because she is so clearly better than I am. Like I should be rolling out the red carpet, should be celebrating her, should be making sure that she feels as valued as I know that she is. I should do that, Um, but I am sinful and fall short. And one of these times just so happened to be over this 4th of July break. So my family has a tradition of going to this place called Port Aransas for every 4th of July. Um, It is Texas's version of a beach. But Californians, it's not like your beaches. Um, It is basically kind of like the armpit of the Gulf. And so think about your beaches, just like add trash and anything you would find in like a mechanics like pit. And there's a lot of oil and stuff in there. And it just, you feel dirty after being in it. So we vacation there and it's great. And I convinced my wife to join us and go down there uh, with the family this uh, 4th of July. And it was a ton of fun, and it actually ended up being really sweet. Got some time with my parents, um, and we hadn't really got to see them a lot because of the pandemic and everything. We were trying to stay socially distant. So we just got some quality time, and it was really great. But it just so happened that my wife's birthday falls on that 4th of July weekend. Her birthday is July 2nd, and so we got to celebrate it while we were down there. And so called my mom. I was like, hey, let's go out to a nice dinner. It'll be really great. We'll celebrate her it'll be good. And so we did. It was a good time. And then my mom pulls me aside and she goes, hey, we would love to buy Sarah some stuff. Like we would just love, you know, she's our daughter-in-law now. We want to just make her feel welcome. So we would love to like get her some stuff. So we'll take y'all shopping tomorrow. How about that? And I was like, great, this is awesome. Uh, And it was just super sweet. My parents didn't have to do that. They were really kind. And so they took her shopping, got her all this stuff. And while we, while she was going like just, having her shopping spree going crazy with it, uh, I was thinking in my mind, I was like, cool, presents are done. Like, presents, check. My parents got them. And so like, cool, we're balling on a budget as a newly married couple. um, I hear some of you laughing right now, so you know where this story's going. Hang with me, I'll get there. Um, But yeah, so in my head, I was just like, great, presents are good, we're checked. And so just continued on with the rest of the weekend, got back home, went back to life as normal. And then about a day or two later, uh, she comes to me she pulls me aside after I get home from work and in a really kind sweet way she was really gentle about it um, she was like hey like I know that we were with your family and I know that they got me presents that was really kind and really sweet and I know you probably just thought like hey this is good this is what we need and we'll save the money but it just would have been nice to like have something from you like have some acknowledgement that you got me something that you were thinking of me that you were planning forward for this and uh, then she like you know broke down a little bit and I was like no crap the first one is a husband and I missed it oh it wasn't it wasn't great and I immediately apologized and I was like I am so sorry like that is on me I dropped the ball that is 100% my fault like I should not have done that I should have thought and prepared to be like yes You're my wife, I am so happy to celebrate you. I'm so thankful that you're here. So hey, I was thinking of you, here's this. Like, apologized for it, and she was super gracious and forgave me. And my favorite part about that is I got to stay being her husband. And (laughs) what I mean by that is that like I didn't fear that like she was going to walk away because I dropped the ball. Like the nature of our relationship didn't change. I got to stay pursuing her loving her and like having that access as her husband and it's this really sweet blessing because we have that covenant we took these vows to say like hey we're going to be man and wife we're going to pursue each other through thickness and thin through each other's sin we're going to love each other and push each other to Jesus and so I had a confidence to say like okay I'm going to wake up tomorrow and she's still going to be here like all our stuff isn't going to be gone and I'm going to be like oh no I need bath towels again um and yeah, like our relationship stayed the same, and I was able to go back to her as her husband. And in the same way that I was able to still approach my wife as her husband, we have an opportunity as those who are Christians to approach our God as sons and daughters. We have a confidence to go before him. We, have seen, we see this theme in Hebrews about Jesus being this high priest, which was an intermediary between God and us. And he is a compassionate, patient high priest that allows us to draw near to him. And so we have this confidence in our relationship if we're in Christ to go before him. And it was opened through his blood and we're gonna see that in the text as we unpack it. And it's this really crazy thing. But if you're like me and you're thinking like, okay, Jesus opened this way, he did this really incredible thing where he paid the sacrifice that I owed and then he gave me his righteousness, he brought me into new life. Things are gonna be easy now. Like the God of the universe made a way. He opened the door for me. He brought me into this relationship with him. So I'm gonna be cruising now. Like life is gonna be good because the God of the universe has got me. And I think that, and I think what I attribute to God's got me is that my life is going to be easy. It's that everything from here on out is going to be smooth sailing because God is there for me. And it is 100% true that God is there for me. It is 100% true that God is there for any of us, and we can draw near to him. But sometimes things get hard. Sometimes life doesn't go the way we think it should. And so we feel in the midst of coming before this God and walking with him that even sometimes life has become harder after we have started walking with him. And so we start to question, hey, what is this really about? Like this drawing near to God, this coming and walking in relationship with him, I thought it was supposed to do something and it just hasn't. And so if you're like me, you maybe have asked the question, like is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep walking with a God who says I serve and I give my life to you and you save me from my sins but life still has its ups and downs. You know, maybe you lose friends, maybe school is really hard right now, or maybe since we're about to head into the break, you're kind of nervous about going back home because life back home wasn't so great. Or maybe you get some unexpected news, like a parent's divorce, or friend going through a really hard time, and all of a sudden you start to ask like, hey, what is this about? And that's what we're going to get to walk into today is answer that question of what do we do when we feel this difficulty of life weighing down on us? And what do we hold on to? Like, how do we grasp for something that we can count on in the midst of this relationship? And so we're gonna be in Hebrews 10. If you've got your Bibles with me, open up uh, to Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. That's where we're gonna start. And so just to recap, as we've been going through the series, we have seen this picture of a high priest, like I mentioned, And this high priest was meant to be an intermediary between God and man. He was the one who was supposed to speak for the people and then deliver the word from the Lord back to the people to guide them, to direct them. And he was supposed to offer sacrifices for sins for the people. And so we have seen in this book that Jesus is that high priest for us now. And so look with me in the text. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that is through his sacrifice on the cross, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what I was talking about in this opportunity that we have now as sons and daughters. If you are in Christ, we can draw near to our God through the sacrifice that Jesus, the Son of God, has made. And that is an incredible, awesome gift. But what do we do once we've drawn near and life still gets tough? Lean in here with me in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let me read that again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. If you're someone who writes in your Bible who you like to take notes, underlies, underline that phrase without wavering for me, because that's gonna be key. But what does this mean? What does this mean for us to hold fast the confession of our hope? Um, and basically, if you're in Christ, if the confession of our hope is that we believe, we hope in Jesus Christ as our savior to grant us freedom from the punishment of our sins. Our confession is that we trust in Jesus Christ above everything else because the ways that the world has to offer simply aren't enough. And so we have turned to Jesus in the midst of our brokenness, whatever we've come from, whatever we've been walking in, and we say, Jesus, you take it because you have offered to save me from this punishment. You have offered to bind me up, to renew me, to make me whole again. So would you come, would you be Lord over my life would you be my savior? Would you walk with me? That is what our hope is in, as those who are in Christ. And man, if you aren't in Christ, if you were just coming and you've been checking out church, seeing what this Jesus is about, and maybe you've never known him, or maybe you don't want to know him because there have been some hangups, whether you've had a bad relationship with the church in the past or there's been hurt there, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have let you down. But I think our God wants to do something in your life today. I think our God wants to show you who he is and what he wants for you and the hope that he wants you to have not in us as broken people but in him and his son as the savior who died for you and loved you. That is the hope that we confess to believe in as Christians is that whatever brokenness you're coming from, whatever things have gone on in your life, that you can turn and trust in Jesus as savior and Lord of your life. Trust in him to take all of the pain and punishment that was owed to you by our sin and rebellion that was owed to me, he takes that on himself and he says, hey, instead I give you my righteousness. That's the way that he opened to for us to draw near to come to him. It's his righteousness so that we can confidently stand in his presence and say, I am a son and I know you love me. That's the miraculous gift that we have in our father. Paul writes it as this, and uh, this is one of my favorite verses. This is what I turn to so often when I need a reminder of what my life is like in Christ, what it looks like. In Galatians 2.20, uh, if you're a person who loves to memorize verses, you should, want, you should be. It's an incredible tool that we have. Um, but Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That last phrase, the son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. That is the hope that we believe in and is that a son of God, the son of God, the only son of God gave himself up for you and me because he loved you. It's his love that drove him there and it's a love that I've never known anywhere else. So that's the hope that we hold on to, the truth that Jesus is different than anything else, that he's better. And so what we get to hold on to is this truth that there's nothing that compares. And so when you're going through the midst of hard times, when you're going through that struggle, you know that there's something that's totally different than anything else. And it's your relationship with Jesus because he beat everything that the world has to offer. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we waver. Sometimes life becomes really tough. It gets really hard. Hey, I I lived it, I've seen it. I've been in your shoes. I know those times in college. And it feels like everything is overwhelming. And we actually get to see in this text that that wasn't too dissimilar from what was going on for Christians in the letter of Hebrews. So you can look with me in verse 26. It says, "For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, that is of Jesus and who he is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. Stop right there real quick before we get into seeing what they were going through. What he's saying right here, there's a lot of words and it feels really heavy. What he's saying right here, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is there's no second option for salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no going to Walmart and being like, hey, can I have a savior, but just maybe in a different size and shape than the one that you offered. It's not like that. The only freedom that we have from our sin, from the brokenness of this world is Jesus. And so what the author of Hebrews is doing here is pleading, hey, don't let go of that. Don't let go of that relationship with Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other sacrifice that can hold the punishment other than our God. He is the only one, and so we need to hold on to that. There is no second option, and it is a warning to not reject that. But here's what it's not saying, and I want to I be very clear about this. It is not saying that if you struggle with sin, there is no longer a sacrifice for your sins. It is not saying that your sin can outdo the grace of God So if you're like me and you're a struggler struggler in this room, do not hear that your sin can undo the work of the cross. There's always repentance. There's always grace offered for those who turn to Jesus, confess their sins, and repent of those actions. We know that because it says it in 1 John 1, 6-7. And this isn't gonna be on the board, uh, but I just wanted y'all to hear it. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Fellowship with him is Jesus. But if we as Christians walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. The blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin if we walk in the light. So, brother, sister, if you are struggling, know that there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness know that there is always grace for whenever you turn, whenever you want to walk away from that brokenness, Jesus always offers a handout. What the writer of Hebrews is doing here is pleading, don't let go of that Jesus. Don't let go of that hope that you have in him. And then he reminds them of what it looks like for them to hold on. So look again with me in verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, That is, after you knew Jesus, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I love that last verse. I love the confidence that comes with it. But here's the truth. This life takes endurance. I don't need to tell you that life gets hard sometimes, I know you already know. It is a struggle, and it does feel heavy at times. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, remember when all those hard times happened. What happened to you? He is walking out for these Christians, even in the midst of all those hard things, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted being publicly embarrassed, ashamed, the loss of your freedom, being imprisoned. He's saying, like, you endured all these things because of what? You had an abiding possession. You knew you had a better possession in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And He's saying it allowed them to walk through all of that joyfully Like, that blows my mind if I sit there and think about it. Because I, like, a little bit about me, I'm a huge coffee snob. Like, I have a pour over. I research what kind of kettle to get so I know that it pours at the right amount and it heats up and it holds the temperature so, like, my coffee doesn't lower two inches. And, like, if I mess up my coffee and it tastes a little bit bitter, my morning is thrown off. Like, I lose it. I am done. I'm like, oh, man, like, this is a burden. What the heck? But these guys, these Christians that the writer of Hebrews is talking to, endured imprisonment, punishment, public humiliation. And they did it joyfully because they held on to the hope that they had in Jesus Christ. They held on to this confession of faith that they knew that Jesus was better. Look with me again in verse 34 in what it says. It says, for you had compassion on those in prison. And right here, underline this. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Your relationship with Jesus is better. Full stop. Nothing else needed, nothing else. Your relationship with Jesus is better. And it's permanent. So regardless of what happens in this life, you have an eternity to look forward to. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, that confidence that you know that you're a son and daughter of God and that you can approach him at any point. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for. If we hold fast to this belief, this hope that Jesus is better and that he's faithful and that he's gonna come through on everything that he said he will, We can endure whatever this life has to offer, whatever you're going through, or whatever you're about to walk back into back home. You can endure it. How do I know this? You know, like, sure, life is easy right now. Robert, like I know you say that. How do you know that it's gonna get me through the hard times? How do you know that when life gets really, really dark and I can't see a way out of the tunnel? How do you know? Because I've seen it. Um, I was seeing it lived out. Uh, I had a friend, a guy named Phil Taylor. Um, He was a friend of mine, first guy I met when I came to TCU. Uh, I was second floor Clark Hall. What up, Clark Sharks? Is that still a thing? Yes, my people! I love it. Um, I was second floor Clark. I lived in a one-story house at home, so I didn't know that when you're on the second floor of something, everything echoes a lot for the first floor. And so I played lacrosse growing up, so I had a lacrosse ball. I was just bouncing it on my floor in my room, being an awful person to live under for like 30 minutes straight. So like Phil has the most patience of anyone I've ever known. And I was just bouncing it on my floor continually for a couple days. And then finally, he throws open this door and he's like, dude, what are you doing? And I was like, what? And he's like, I live under you. And I was like, oh, my bad. Uh, but it kicked off this great friendship and, uh, the best way I can describe, yeah, crazy, right? Like I annoyed the guy for like a week and then he's like, cool, you want to be friends? And I was like, sure. Um, you seem like a good dude. Uh, and the best way to describe Phil was if y'all have ever seen that old football movie, Rudy, um, Phil was Rudy. He was a walk-on at TCU and like every time the- like we were blowing somebody out, uh, we would get a crowd chant going, like Phil Taylor, and like we'd go nuts for like the one play he'd be in. He would just block. He wouldn't get the ball or anything, but he would just be there. And man, we'd love it. And we graduated college, uh, and then we decided to live together as roommates. And so we started living together. It was great. Like you know, you of course you go through the whole thing of like, oh, like you're don't do your dishes, and like you're you stay up way late at night. Like cool, we'll figure this out. Um, so we were doing that uh, and we kept just going through life and we were climbing up our respective careers, going about this whole adulting thing, and it was great. Um, and then all of a sudden, Phil kept getting really tired and he wouldn't go out with us as much. He would just kind of hang around the house um, and, you know, just kind of like lost a bunch of who he was. And he ended up starting to get sick. Like, couldn't really eat food, so we went to go get it checked out. And, uh, you know, I waited for him. Like, I was at work, so I didn't really have to, like, worry a ton about it. But then uh, he gave me a call after he got out of the doctor's office. And he had cancer. And, yeah, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, okay, we're going to deal with it. We're going to fight it. The prognosis was okay. They thought it was stage two or stage three. So we're like, all right cool we'll deal with it we'll get through it and so Phil started chemo he was a champion like he was just like cool you know I've talked to people with this like it's like a year year and a half and then I'll be back to life so I just gotta like you know stay focused stay faithful in this time and we'll do it and so he did went through the chemo didn't really ever hear him complain and so completed that and he was set to have his surgery to remove a piece of his intestine where like the original tumor was and that would be the end of it he'd be done We'd be good. And so they get in there for the surgery and uh, they end up not doing it. And when he told me why my heart just sunk, it's because when they opened him up to do the surgery, they found that it had spread not only to the rest of his intestines, but to his stomach, to his lungs, and to his heart. He was now in what they called experimental trials and the diagnosis was terminal. They start throwing around words like we can try this or we can figure this out. But as a 24-year-old man, you don't expect to hear those words. And you don't expect to watch your friend go through that. Especially when just 2 years ago he was, you know, on the field for national television, running routes, being a wide receiver. Doesn't make sense. And so we started walking through that and going through the experimental trials and they were doing crazy things to his body. And it was just wrecking him. Um, And I started asking him, I was like, Phil, are you okay? Like, surely you've got to be mad. Like, I would be cussing up a storm. Like, I would be losing my mind. I would have broken our TV by now for sure. So I would have had to apologize to you for that. So like, where are you at? Like, what is going on? How are you doing, brother? And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, I've been really okay with taking all the blessings that God has given me for so long. Why would I doubt his goodness now? I have been so fine to take the blessings of being born to a good family, getting to play the sport I love, getting to chase my dreams, being provided for. Why would I doubt him now? And that persisted that confidence, that holding fast that he had continued all the way until his last day. You know, a few of us got to gather around with his family and we got to say our goodbyes, we got to pray over him. And his mom had the idea, um, because it was Phil's favorite thing, to say the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, Because he had done it with all of his football teams, he had done it with, you know, it was just his favorite thing because he got to do it with his brothers and sisters, his community. And so we spoke it over him. And if you've walked with anyone who has cancer, you know that at the end, they're pretty much kind of comatose. Like they're glossed over. He hadn't really said any words all day. Um, He had like looked up a few times. But when we said that prayer, his head shot up and he said it with us word for word. It was verbatim. It was crystal clear. And it was evident how much my friend loved his God. It was clear how much he had clung to that relationship, how much he had held fast to that truth till his very last day, that Jesus is better, that he is worth holding on to in the midst of all that. And he passed that night, and I know that I get to see him again, so I get to rejoice, because I know that he is with our God, and he is in total satisfaction, because that's that gift of eternity, that's that permanent gift that we get, that regardless of whatever your life looks like this side of heaven, there will be another chapter. There will be an eternal abiding reward that cannot be touched by anything here on this earth. So that's how we know it's worth holding on to. So if you're like me, you sit with that and you're like, okay, I want that. I want a faith like that, so how do we do that? how do I get from this place where I'm at where the slightest disconvenience kinda, or inconvenience kind of takes me from this place of like wanting to draw near to God to be like, I kind of want to do my own thing. Like, how do we get from there to regardless of the circumstance, I want to hold fast to Jesus. And I think it's answered in this text. So look back with me at verse 24 and 25. And it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first way, number one way to hold fast your relationship in Jesus, to walk closely with him, is to stay in community. Stay in community. Because what community does is it keeps your eyes from being solely focused on your problems. When those those life circumstances hit, when those challenges hit, Community reminds you that God is doing other things. Community reminds you that there's good and there is hope outside of whatever you're going through. Because when I'm on my own, y'all, I fail a test. I feel like the world's ending. You know, like I say something awkward in a group of friends and no one laughs and I try and make a joke. I might as well think my life is over. Like I'm like, oh my God, I'm never talking again. But community is the thing that reminds us that, hey, there's more to this. Like, there is good that will come. There is another day. You get another shot. So stay in community. And I know some of you are introverts in this room. Um, I'm not, if you couldn't tell by the everything about me. Um, but I know there's some of you who are just like, hey, I need my alone time. That is great. I am not talking about recharging, I am not talking about whatever you need to do to get alone with Jesus. Like, do that. Have that freedom. Enjoy your time alone. But don't isolate. Don't intentionally pull back from this community and go it alone. Like, I know it's a temptation. I know that thought comes in of like, I just need to handle myself. Like, I just need to focus on me, get myself right, and I'll be good. You're gonna miss what God wants to do in your life if you try and do it all yourself. Stay in community so that they can remind you to trust in Jesus. And then the second point closely tied to that is let that community encourage you. Let that community encourage you. Be honest about where you're at. Don't put on the facade of, oh, I'm good, like nothing's a problem. Like, actually tell each other what's going on, how it's hard. You know, like walk with each other and be reminded of how good God is by the other people around you saying like, oh man, I'm seeing this happen in my life or I'm getting to do this. Be honest. Let that community encourage you. And then if you're not the one going through those hard times, you be that person who walks closely with someone who's having a hard time. Like don't sit there and be like, oh, my life is great. Like I'm good, I'm cruising. Go find those people. Like go find someone who's struggling. Like that's what the, these Christians did that the writer of Hebrews was writing to. It said they joyfully, they had compassion on those who were in prison. You think you're having a bad day, try jail. And these guys were joyfully going to meet with them, to walk with them. So go be that community. Go live that out so you're reminded of what a good gift it is to love each other and walk in that fellowship and feel that connection in that community and know that you're not alone. So let that incur- community encourage you. And the last one is focus on Christ. It's simple, but it's massive. Focus on that reward that you have, that faith, that relationship that you get to cling to. Without it, there's nothing to hold on to because this life is chaotic. It's a roller coaster. It's up and down. But Jesus is constant and he's permanent. Verse 34 talked about what these Christians were holding on to. It was a possession that was far more valuable and abiding or permanent Your relationship with Jesus can't be touched by anything. So focus on that and let that give you the hope. Hold on to that. Let that give you the hope to know that whatever you're going through in life, it can't overcome that. It can't overcome what our God has done and will continue to do in being faithful to who he is every single day. That's what holding on looks like. That's what I want. I want to know how to hold on in that way. I want you to know what holding on that way looks like because that is what gives us that hope. That is what no wavering, a confidence to draw near to the God of the universe looks like. And that's how to be steadfast in our faith. That's what I want. Let me pray. Father, God, you were good. God, you are good in the midst of any circumstance of our life. God, I don't know uh, what's going on in this room. I don't know how many burdens. I don't know how many hardships exist. But I know you are over them all. And I know your son is faithful to us in the midst of them all. God, you have not left us. Your word says that we have a confidence to go before you, that you will always be there for us, that you will never forsake us. So God, would we trust in that? Would we hope in that and hold on to that? Because there's nothing that can compare to a relationship with you. So I pray that as, um, as we walk into whatever this next season is, whether we're nearing in on graduation, whether we're going back to a home life that isn't so great, or we're nervous about next semester, God, I pray that we would seek you first. I pray that we would hold fast to our relationship with you. That in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of whatever we wanna run to or feel is overwhelming us in the moment. God, I pray that we would trust in you and that you would put it on our hearts to be the people who are that community, who love each other, who are compassionate, who are kind, who are faithful to run to a hurting friend and encourage them and pick them back up. God, I pray that you would make us those people that point each other to you so that we can have hope, so that we can rejoice in the midst of the hardest of times and that way the world around us can see how good you are because that's our heart is that we would show a little bit more of the goodness of a relationship with you and we would rejoice in that. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.